Turn with me then, please, to the book of 2 Kings in chapter 11. 2 Kings chapter 11, which will be our focus for this morning's sermon. Kings chapter 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. When Ataliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal heirs. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were, who were being murdered. And they hid him and his nurse in the bedroom from Ataliah, so that he was not killed. So he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord for six years, while Ataliah reigned over the land. In the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of hundreds of the bodyguards and the escorts and brought them into the house of the Lord to him. And he made a covenant with them and took an oath from them in the house of the Lord and showed them the king's son. Then he commanded them, saying, This is what you shall do. One third of you who come on duty on the Sabbath shall be keeping watch over the king's house. One third shall be at the gate of Shur, and one third at the gate behind the escorts. And thou shalt keep the watch of the house, lest it be broken down. The two contingents of you who go off duty on the Sabbath shall keep the watch of the house of the Lord for the king. But you shall surround the king on all sides, every man with his weapons in his hand, and whoever comes within range, let him be put to death. You are to be with the king as he goes out and as he comes in. So the captains of the hundreds did according to all that Jehoiada the priest commanded. Each of them took his man who were to be on duty on the Sabbath with those who were going off duty on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada the priest. And the priest gave the captains of of hundreds the spears and shields which belonged to King David that were in the temple of the Lord. Then the escort stood, every man with his weapon in his hand, all around the king, from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple by the altar and the house. And he brought out the king's son, put the crown on him, and gave him the testimony They made him king and anointed him, and they clapped their hands and said, Long live the king. Now when Ataliah heard the noise of the escorts and the people, she came to the people in the temple of the Lord. And when she looked, there was the king standing by a pillar according to custom. And the leaders and the trumpeters were by the king. And all the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. So Ataliah tore her clothes and cried out, Treason, treason. And Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains of the hundreds, the officers of the army, and said to them, Take her outside under guard, and slay with the sword whoever follows her. For the priest had said, Do not let her be killed in the house of the Lord. So they seized her, and she went by the way of the horse's entrance into the king's house, and there she was killed. Then Jehoiada made a covenant between the Lord, the king, and the people, that they should be the Lord's people, and also between the king and the people. And all the people of the land went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. 
They thoroughly broke in pieces its altars and images and killed Matan, the priest of Baal, before the altars. And the priest appointed officers over the house of the Lord. And then he took the captains of hundreds, the bodyguards, the escorts, and all the people of the land. And they brought the king down from the house of the Lord and went by the way of the gate of the escorts to the king's house. Then he sat on the throne of the kings. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet, for they had slain Ataliah with the sword in the king's house. And Jehoash, also called Joash, was seven years old when he became king. This far the reading of God's holy word, and in connection with this passage, we'll also read from the Lord's Day, Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 19, which you can find on page 47 in the back section of your Psalter book. <clears throat> page 47 in the back section of your Psalter. Find there the section entitled Lord's Day 19. And question 50 asks us, why is it added and sits on the right hand of God? Here we are looking at the Apostles' Creed uh, where it says, and he sits on the right hand of God. And the answer is because Christ is ascended into heaven for this end, that he might appear as head of his church by whom the Father governs all things. Question 51 asks, What profit is this glory of Christ our head unto us? And the answer is, first, that by his Holy Spirit he pours out heavenly graces upon us, his members, and then that by his power he defends and preserves us against all enemies. And question 52 asks, What comfort is it to thee that Christ shall come again to judge the quick and the dead? And the answer is, that in all my sorrows and persecutions, with uplifted head, I look for the very same person who before offered himself for my sake to the tribunal of God and has removed all curse from me to come as judge from heaven who shall cast away all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but shall translate me with all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joys and glory. Dear congregation, this morning we're continuing our study in, uh, through the Catechism, which is looking at the exaltation of Christ. The exaltation of Christ began with his resurrection from the dead. That was his first step. The ascension into heaven, as we considered Thursday, for those of you who were there, was his, his exaltation as he ascended into heaven. And today we'll consider the fourth step, which is being set at the right hand of God the Father, sitting on the throne in heaven. And the last step, of course, will be when he returns in glory on the clouds of heaven. That fourth step is still to happen. But here we want to consider now how Christ was seated at the right hand of power and what that, what that means for us. Peter said in Acts 2 that Christ was exalted to the right hand of God according to the promise, the promise that we can see given in Psalm 110 where David said, 
The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And so what does it really mean for us to know that today the Lord Jesus Christ with body and soul and His glorified form is sitting in heaven, enthroned in the glories on the right hand of God? What does that mean for you and for me? What does it mean especially for the churches who are persecuted today? where they can hardly even worship God, where it seems that evil is prevailing. We want to consider this passage here, and in light of this, uh, this passage of, of Queen Ataliah, to remind us of our need to have our faith and hope in Christ at all times, and no matter what is happening in this world. That He is the eternal King seated at the right hand of God, now, this, map, this passage mentions nothing of Christ is seated and enthroned in heaven, but it does show us that even in the Old Testament, God who is faithful and who gave His promises that His Son would be enthroned forever also shows how He preserved uh, the, His church and the seed of David for that to happen. And so our theme today is faith in Christ seated at the right hand of God. has been our theme through these Sermons here through the Catechism, faith now in Christ, seated at the right hand of God. And so first we will consider that Christ is enthroned even today in heaven despite the wickedness that appears to prevail. God promised David that his seed would not fail to sit upon the throne. In 2 Samuel 7, verse 12, he said, I will set up your seed after you and will come from who will come from your body, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And so the, the royal line of David would continue through his descendants until it would be fulfilled in Christ. And that means David, David's physical line, his children, his grandchildren must continue at least until Christ was born. And so in his covenant... God had said that he would chastise his children, the sons of David, if they forsook him, if they turned from his laws. But he would never remove his mercy and his faithfulness from them. He would never entirely eradicate them because the promise was that his seed would sit on the throne forever. And so in this passage with Ataliah, we need to see an example of how God preserves that seed, that line of David, despite the most horrific opposition. And when it seemed to the people of God that all hope would have been lost, all hope of a Messiah ever coming would have been lost. So first we need to ask, who was Ataliah? Well, Ataliah, it says in the first verse, was the mother of Ahaziah, but she was a daughter of Ahab and Jezebel. Ahab was the king of the northern tribes of Israel, and Jezebel was his wife. He married the daughter of a king of the Sidonians. So he, he, he disobeyed the Lord and intermarrying with unbelievers, with Gentiles. And the place where Jezebel came from, her hometown, was a central place of Baal worship. Baal was a god of, of various things. He had a lightning bolt in his hand. He was known as the god of fertility, of agriculture, of seasons. And, and so Jezebel introduced Baal worship to Israel. 
So that was the northern tribes of Israel and the southern tribes known as Judah. The king was Jehoshaphat at that time. And Jehoshaphat and Ahab became friends. Even though Jehoshaphat was a godly king, he compromised his, his devotion to God by making an allegiance with King Ahab. And what they often did in those days was they married their children together. And so Jehoshaphat took his son Jehoram and, and gave her Ataliah, Ahab and Jezebel's daughter, to wife. And so Jehoram and Ataliah became married, and he became the next king. Jehoram became the next king after his father Jehoshaphat. And so when Jehoram died, then their son Ahaziah, the daughter of Ataliah, became king. I hope you can keep that straight. And we begin to see the influence of Ataliah, this, this wicked woman, on her family. And I will quote, if you want to refer to it, you can turn to Second Chronicles uh, chapter 21 and 22. There's a parallel passage there that adds some details. We begin to see Ataliah's influence because it says in Second Chronicles 22, verse 3, that when Ahaziah, her son, became king, the mother Ataliah advised him to do wickedly. Therefore he did evil in the sight of the Lord like the house of Ahab. She influenced him to evil. She also would have been raised with her mother in Baal worship. And so because of this, the Lord's judgment came upon Ahaziah, he only reigned for one year before he himself was killed. And so you can see how both uh, Ataliah and her mother Jezebel were an evil influence on the nation of Israel. How the interracial marriage between the, the people of God and, <clears throat> and the unbelievers at that time brought God's judgment on the land. And then we're brought to what happens here in verse 1. We see here specifically what happens as a result of this. In verse 1 in 2 Kings 11, when Ataliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead, she arose and destroyed all the royal heirs. She saw her opportunity, and she went to kill and destroy anyone who she thought was left from the line of David. And who were those? Those are her, her own grandchildren. The only ones left alive were her own grandchildren. And we know that because her previous husband, Jehoram, who had since died, when he was still alive, he had done similar things. In Second Chronicles 21, verse 4, it says he killed his own brothers and all the other princes of the line of Israel. And God tells us why. Second Chronicles 21, verse 6 says, He walked in the ways of the kings of Israel just as the house of Ahab had done, for or because he had the daughter of Ahab as wife, and he did that evil in the sight of the Lord. Jezebel influenced her. Ataliah influenced her husband here. But still we see God's promise. 2 Chronicles 21 verse 7, if you're looking there, says, Yet the Lord would not destroy the house of David because the covenant he had made with David. 
and since he had promised to give him a lamp to him, to his sons forever. The Lord, faithful to his covenant and promises, would not totally destroy the nation. But the Lord did punish them severely. Second Chronicles 21 verse 12 says that because of the idolatry and because Jehoram murdered his brothers, God would bring serious affliction and diseases on the people, and he himself would die from a rotting of his bowels. His bowels would be so rotted it would fall out of his body. A horrible disease the Lord gave him. And a further judgment that the Lord brought upon them in Second Chronicles 21, verse 16, is that the Lord stirred up the enemies around them, the Philistines, the Arabians who attacked, who attacked Judah and killed all of their children, except one. He killed all of Jehoram's family, except Jehoahaz, who is called Ahaziah. Only one son remaining to sit on the throne of David, and now he died. And now Ataliah, his own mother, is killing his children. Killing anyone who could possibly threaten her rule. She who came from the outside wanted to be queen of, of Judah. But in the Lord's mercy, he spared one child again, Joah who would have been one year old at the time, who it says the, they, they took away and hid him for six years. So I want to consider a few things that we can learn from this passage. We can see that sin has no limits. And sin has only one design, one aim, and that is to destroy everything to do that is of God. Satan has one design, and that is to destroy the church of Christ. Since his deception in paradise, Satan has been attacking the church. And we can read in Revelation 12 of how Satan appears as this large dragon pursuing this woman, the woman who represents the church. And initially he wanted to devour the child that would be born, that, that Christ child. Satan came after Christ on earth. He tempted him. He, he crucified him in the end. But Christ rose victorious from the grave and ascended into heaven as we considered last week. But then Revelation goes on to say that, that Revelation 12 says Christ was caught up to God on his throne where he now sits. And that's what we also considered here in this Lord's Day where we confess that Christ now sits on the right hand of God ascended into heaven to appear as the head of His church to govern all things. But that is why Revelation 12 verse 6 also says that this woman, the church, fled into the wilderness where the God would preserve her for a season. God caring for His church is the symbol. Even though Satan continues to persecute the woman, continues to persecute the church because it can't reach Christ anymore, and now it comes after Christ's seed, Christ's church. But God preserves the church in all the world, just like God preserved His people Israel through the wilderness journey. And then in the midst of all this fierce opposition, we can know and trust that Christ is our head in, 
in, in heaven who gives His Holy Spirit by His almighty power preserves and defends His church against all the enemies. That's the benefit that we have of Christ who is in heaven with body and soul even today in the throne of heaven. Because Christ Himself knew what it was to be persecuted. He, as a young child with His parents, had to flee from Herod when He was less than two years old. Herod tried to root out the, the seed of David there as well to, when he tried to kill all the two-year-olds and under in that area. But the enemy could not defeat Christ. But Christ knows what it is to be persecuted. And Atalia with Satan behind her could not destroy the royal line of David because Christ needed to be born. Joash, her one-year-old grandson, was rescued and hid away. So we need to realize how sin creeps in. Satan uses deceit, subtlety, turning you away from God. It never presents itself as evil, but as a good cause. Do we realize that? These marriages between these kings' families were arranged in the name of peace, of unity, tolerance. Kings Ahab and Jehoshaphat formed a coalition to strengthen the nations of Israel. It was done to protect their economy. It was done to protect their people from the enemies. But sin soon takes over. You see how it corrupted Ahab, how he followed Baal and his wife. It corrupted Jehoram, who was a God-fearing, <clears throat> or Jehoshaphat, the God-fearing king of Judah. It corrupted the line of David and turned them from serving God to serving idols. We never want to hear or talk about the ugliness of sin, but before we know it, we are walking arm in arm with it, just like Jehoram was walking arm in arm with his wife, Ataliah. You can imagine how he wanted to please his wife. He wanted to please his parents, the, the kings of the two nations. And he allowed her to worship the idols of Baal, careful not to offend. In the name of tolerance. Do we ever ask, why can't I do this? Why can't I serve my gods? And you're given a little here and a little there. What's wrong with it, they ask. And so what enters your home? under your arm, comes in as a very apparently good and profitable thing, but it begins to influence you for evil. It comes in as something very innocent, and you say, well, what's wrong with it? Everybody does it. And you see the devastating effects of something so prevalent, so simple, and so useful, and so necessary like social media or internet. How many young people and elderly people taken captive by it? That's just one example of the many things that we walk arm in arm with in this world. And yet how quickly it can influence us away from God. And then, once sin gets the upper hand, it takes over with violence. That's the other approach of Satan. Satan bombards us either with prosperity or persecution. Both intended to turn us away from God. Both intended to destroy the church of God. 
And it makes us wonder, doesn't it? In these years of prosperity that the Lord has given us, how has this been merged into our life and family? How have we intermarried with the world in times of prosperity where it has begun to pull us away from God and to serve idols? Idols of wealth. How many people do you see turning away from the church to serve their business? How many people pursuing the luxuries of this world? How many people needing to pursue to participate in the, the idols of sports and recreation when it becomes that idol that overtakes God. All seemingly good, innocent, useful, harmless things, starting off with peace. But then, it must destroy God's church or it must be destroyed itself. Ataliah could not usurp the throne as long as there was a rightful heir living. And there will come a time in all of our lives when you need to make that choice. And which one will survive in your life? Your faith in Christ as seated on the throne of heaven or whatever idol you are following and worshiping? For six years Ataliah reigned. And to any godly person in the land, it would have appeared that all was lost. No indication that there was anyone from the line of David that is still alive. And that meant that all hope of the Messiah would be gone. And then we sang from Psalm 77, Shall God's promise fail? Will we see His favor no more? For the disciples, even when Christ was crucified, their all hope was gone. They didn't understand the Scriptures. And even now, and it can appear that Christ is not on the throne. Or if He is, you wonder, can He do anything? You can think of all the wicked leaders in history, and even the nations today that are seeking to root out Christianity in their land. But Christ reigns, despite the wickedness that appears to prevail, whether it be in our hearts or in the nations. <clears throat> But then secondly, Christ reigns over all and in due time will return to establish his rule, his kingdom. Christ sits enthroned in heaven to defend and to preserve his church of which he is head. And though it can appear even now in this world that at times all things are lost, but Christ has promised that the gates of hell even would not prevail against his church. That dragon it could not destroy the woman in the wilderness because God nourished her there for a season. <clears throat> Verse 2 of chapter 11, 2 Kings. But Jehoshaphat, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered. And they hid him and his nurse in the bedroom from Ataliah so that he was not killed. So he was hidden with her in the house of the Lord for six years while Ataliah reigned over the land. God on the throne on high was preserving, defending his church even then and there. God works at a different time frame than we would. He doesn't work by our calculations. He allowed Ataliah to reign for six years. 
He allowed Nero to reign. He allowed Bloody Mary to reign. He allowed Hitler and various other rulers to reign for a period of time. And even today, there are nations that he allows to continue persecuting the church. But in verse 4, it says, In the seventh year of Jehoiada, in the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and brought the captains out. And they made a plan. They set up a guard around Jehoiada. Because in Second Chronicles 23, verse 3, Jehoiada the priest said, Behold, the king's son shall reign as the Lord has said of the sons of David. And in verse 12 of our chapter, the priest crowned Joash king and anointed him symbolizing the Holy Spirit of God to equip him for his office to serve as king over his people. And they said, long live the king. And at God's time and in God's way, the rightful king comes to the throne with the proper anointing. And so we see in God's way and at God's time, Christ as the rightful heir of the Son of God was seated on the throne of heaven, seated at the right hand of God in the place of power and honor and glory, all authority in heaven and earth given to him. See, the Jews had their own plans. They wanted to make Christ king while he was still on earth. They had different views of what that kingdom would look like. They tried to take him by force at various times. They, they laid down their coats before him as he came into Jerusalem on the, on the donkey. They were showing their submission to him that he would be their king. When he fed the 5,000 men with a few loaves and a few fish, they were going to take him by force, John says, and make him king, but he, he sent him away. Satan also tempted him in the wilderness when he said, look at all the beauties that you can see off this mountain, all these kingdoms. If you would only bow down to me, you can have them all. But that was not the will of the Father. He was trying to turn Christ away from serving God as Satan does to each one of us, seeking to try to turn us away from God. When that did not work, he used violence. By the people, he crucified Christ. But at God's time and in God's way, Christ arose from the grave, having defeated Satan and death and the grave. He ascended into heaven, and there was set at the right hand of God. He was given the rightful place on the throne of David, the anointed one. And now the promise of God is fulfilled for all eternity. And that son of David will continue to sit on that throne forever and ever. Never will anyone be able to usurp his throne again. And that leads us to that question we had in the the catechism, question 52. What comfort is it that Christ shall come again to judge the the quick and the dead? It says that in all my sorrows and persecutions, with uplifted head I look for the very same person who before offered himself for my sake to the tribunal of God, and has removed all curse from me, to come as judge from heaven. He shall cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but shall translate me with his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joys and glories. So the Jews did not realize that Joash still lived. They did not know that one day he would come and be king. Atali certainly didn't know that either. Satan did not realize that Christ would raise from the, rise from the grave. It does appear that now that he realizes that Christ will come again to judge them because the the demons asked Jesus not to torment them before their time. But the disciples were told by the angels in Acts 1 that this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven 
will so come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. And so when Ataliah heard this noise in verse 13, it says she came out of her palace, which is next door to the temple, to see what all the commotion was about. And when she looked, she saw the king standing by the pillar according to the custom. The rightful king had been anointed and crowned. So Ataliah tore her clothes and cried, Treason, treason. Here, Ataliah, the one who had committed treason herself, was now calling evil good and good evil, accusing her own grandchild, the rightful king, of committing treason. But her time was come. They seized her. They killed her. They destroyed the temple of Baal. They broke down its altars and images. And in verse 20, second last verse says, So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet, for they had slain Ataliah with a sword in the king's house. And Joash, or Jehoahash, Jehoash was seven years old when he became king. The people rejoiced. There was peace in the city. The son of David was on the throne. And today, the greater son of David is on the throne of heaven. Now, it might not seem there's peace everywhere in every city, but his reign will be from sea to sea. And at God's time, this peace will be brought in fully. And when Christ will appear, and all the usurpers of his throne will be destroyed forever. And we don't know when that time will be. Atali certainly did not expect it. And unbelievers in the world today are not expecting Christ to return. They think that God is dead. They think that every heir to the throne are dead. And the leaders of our land are doing the same thing as Ataliah did. They're replacing the temple of God with the temple of Baal. The worship of God with the worship of idols. When he returns... They will stand in fear and amazement when they see the son of David brightfully brought to the throne. But the question for us here today is, who do you serve? Who is your God? Because that will determine how it will be for you when you meet Christ, the rightful King. What is it in your life that could be leading you away from God? What is it you're putting your trust and hope in in this life? Or is it rightfully in the King of kings and the Lord of lords? We see also for Judah that it got worse before it got better. God punished them because he had forsaken God. And God will also punish those who forsake his covenant and turn from him. We see that even in covenant children, who when they grow up, they leave their family home. They reject the promises of baptism they've received as an infant, and they turn away. And so often you see the Lord chastising them as they fall deeper and deeper into sin and the consequences of it. But in the Lord's mercy, how often He turns them back to plead for His mercy, and they find forgiveness with Him. But in this world, it says it will also get worse before it gets better. Revelation 20 says Satan will be loosed for a season. Gog and Magog, the signs and symbols of God's enemies pursuing the church. But when Christ will return suddenly to judge 
and to destroy the enemies, just as Ataliah was destroyed. He will bring his peace. And we live in the anticipation of Christ's return. We live by faith that Christ is enthroned in glory, that he's now preserving his church here and defending it. And he will come again to deliverance. But in the meantime, there's still Ataliah's as Satan's instruments who reign on the earth. And there are many good signs as well at the end that this world has, and that's one of them. Matthew 24 says that the gospel will go to every nation. That during this difficult time, the gospel will, will, be, will spread. But there's also many troubling signs. Matthew 24 speaks of the trials, the wars, the famines, the pandemics. And these are only the beginning of sorrows. Second Thessalonians says the day won't come until there's a great falling away first. We see a little of that now. Many falling away from the faith, faith turning their backs on God to serve idols in the world. And they say, where is Christ in His coming? The Antichrist will come in its various forms and ways seeking to rule the world, not just the nation of Judah. There will be an Ataliah who will seek to destroy the church and the world. Second Thessalonians says, The man of sin is revealed, a son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God, or that is worshipped as he sits as God in the temple of God, showing that he is God. Revelation 13 says, And I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He caused the earth and all those who dwell in it to worship the first beast. He performs great signs. He deceives those who dwell on the earth. He's granted power and causes many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed, causing all to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads that no one may buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. The power of the wicked rulers who usurp the throne will persecute and destroy the church. And here we can see clearly that both cannot coexist. Only one can rule on the throne. That includes in our heart. That's why it's important to examine our lives and the things in it. This is why Christianity cannot live at peace with the world. The world cannot tolerate Christianity to survive. It must assassinate all its own grandchildren so that it can rule. Jesus said family will rise up against family. And it could appear that there's no more hope in the church, for the church. No more sight of the son of David. But the day will come when Christ will return and destroy the enemy of the church, just like Ataliah was. Again, Revelation 19, it says, And I saw the beast. The kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. Then the beast was captured, and with him the false prophet who worked signs in his presence, by which he deceived those who received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone, and the rest were killed with the sword which proceeded from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. We do not know what will happen in our own nation. Will the Lord allow it to continue the way it is in this trajectory? 
Will the Lord bring increasing judgments upon our land because we have forsaken Him? Well, one thing we know, His church will prevail through it all. Through the rise and the fall of earthly kingdoms, God's kingdom will prevail. And in the end, that final battle will be won by the Lord Jesus Christ. And our faith and hope is in Christ. Joash was hidden for six years, but Christ has already been hidden from our sight, you could say, for over 2,000. The difference is that Christ is now on the throne, and we know He is there. He has already won the victory, and He will return in that full glory and power to establish His kingdom forever and deliver all His people and bring everlasting peace. Then even all who died under the enemy's assaults will rise from the dead. We no longer must fear the death of those who, who, those who can kill the body because Christ has overcome death in His resurrection. And then all His enemies will be truly destroyed with everlasting condemnation. And all His people, all those who trust in Him now as seated at the right hand of God, will be taken to glory with Christ forever, their King. So the question for you and I today is, where will you stand on that day? Amen.